0: Good morning everybody. Good to see all of you this morning. Good to see those of you who are joining us at home. Uh, Just a couple of announcements for you before we get underway with worship today. Right now, don't leave the sanctuary, but right now the Presbyterian Women's Bake Sale is happening in the parlor. So I know you'll want to head out there after worship if you have not yet been there uh, to get some great stuff, but also to help support the mission work that they do uh, in the community. That's what they're raising funds for. Also, Sunday School began today and is back in business. There will be three classes going upstairs on Sunday mornings. Uh, Larry Price's class, uh, Greg Roberts and I are teaching for the next three Sundays. If you're interested in that class but don't wish to attend, it is available to you on the church's podcast, the One Press Pod, uh, so you can get the audio version uh, of that class every Monday. It'll drop on Mondays. Uh, And then also the youth are meeting upstairs with Charlotte Scott. So that is going on as well. Uh, I think those are, are those all my announcements, Tasha? You have a blank look. Good enough, then. Great. Let's worship God.
1: Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Let us pray. Lord, we come into this sanctuary with all praise and glory given to you. We offer to you uh, our worship with song and prayer, silence and scripture. And we pray that in this time you would both renew and restore us and that our worship would be acceptable to you. It is in your name we pray. Amen. courage for the living of these days. Part of that wisdom and courage comes from being honest before God and before one another. And so now let us offer our prayer of confession together. I will note for you there's a time for silent confession in the middle of the prayer. Let us pray. Holy and merciful and powerful God, on this day we pray for forgiveness in our lives. We ask that you would forgive us for the ways in which we have sinned against you and against one another. We take this moment to offer our silent prayer of confession to you. Grant us grace, O God that through the grace of Jesus we may be transformed. Help us to live selflessly, humbly, and boldly, that we might be your faithful disciples. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Here again, the good news of the gospel. As far as east lies from west, that is how far Christ removes your sin from you. Christ forgives you and erases that sin in your life. Know that it is by his power and work in you that you are forgiven. And now he calls you to be people of peace. Let's sing to God's glory.
0: Be seated. Let us pray. O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have two scripture passages for you this morning. I have a passage from Exodus and a passage from Mark. So I invite you to listen to those now. As we worship God. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But God said, you cannot see my face for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, see there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now Mark chapter 6. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the lake, and he was alone on the land. When Jesus saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning, walking on the lake. He intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Then Jesus got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what makes something weird? What makes something weird? Like, if something's weird, we understand first and foremost that it's not normal. But more than that, we understand it to be strange, peculiar, odd, even perhaps worrisome. Most of the time these days when we use the word weird, it's because there's some strange noise coming from outside the house after dark. That's weird, we say to ourselves. Weird is different, but also weird's a little bit nervy. I remember when I moved to Austin, Texas in 1997, everywhere I would see this phrase, keep Austin weird. If you've been to Austin before, you have seen that. You've seen it in store windows. You've seen it on bumper stickers. Keep Austin weird. And I thought to myself, what could this mean? And I didn't have to live there very long to understand what it meant. It meant that I would be sitting at a restaurant one day on Guadalupe Street right next to the University of Texas and a peloton of naked bicyclists would pass by. It meant that this run-down, dilapidated old movie theater down on 6th Street called Alamo Draft House, of which there was only one at that time, would have cannibal night, where they would show cannibal-themed movies, but also serve cannibal-themed food. Like, you see what I mean? Weird isn't just abnormal, it's also a little upsetting. You know, or you would go to a run-down old honky-tonk with your friends on a Friday night, and the former Heisman Trophy winner Earl Campbell would walk up on stage completely drunk and sing a song with the house band. These were the sort of things that happened in Austin. These are the sort of things that made it weird and made it kind of fun. You didn't know what was gonna happen, but you knew something was gonna happen because Austin was weird. You should know that in the early days of the church, we were thought to be weird. I've pointed this out to you before in Sunday schools and sermons, but it's important to remember it. We were thought weird. For several hundred years, we were thought to be weird. We, too, were working the cannibal theme, the Romans thought. They thought we were cannibals. Why would they think that? Because we ate the body and drank the blood of our Savior. They asked us to hand over our books, and we didn't want to do that. And so then they said, well, you can hand them over or we'll kill you. And we said, then you can kill us. It was weird. We didn't behave like everyone else around us behaved. They said, you can worship whatever God you would like to worship. Just come and worship the emperor as well. And we wouldn't do it. It was weird. We were weird. We were strange. We were outliers. We didn't fit in. Things about us were peculiar, but also threatening. Now, the longer I lived in Austin, the more you kind of got used to the weirdness. You know, Alamo Drafthouse, a week after Cannibal Night, they would have Nude on the Moon Night, where they showed a movie called Nude on the Moon, and if you came naked, you got in free. Are you sensing a theme with the weirdness? Or you'd be sitting someplace and you would see a car pass by that had been covered bumper to bumper in pennies. Like they glued pennies to every visible surface of the car. And you're like, ah, yeah, there's the penny car. Or you'd go to the tiniest of restaurants where there was absolutely no room for the tables or their servers, much less the musician who had wedged himself into the corner and was playing guitar and was about to hit the person seated in front of him with the handle of his guitar. But you're like, eh, eh, live music capital of the world. Eh, it's Austin. You got used to it. You got used to the weird, right? And that's what happened to us. The weird over time started to become normal. You get used to it. Like, do you think it's all weird to gather for communion? No. You think, well, it must be the first Sunday of the month. Do you think it's at all weird to talk about this guy, Jesus, who lived so long ago? No, Nope. that's what we do. We just talk about him. Have you ever met him? Nope, but I've talked a lot about him. We get used to the kind of weirdness the peculiarity, the strangeness of of our faith. And over time, it just ceases to become weird anymore. It just seems normal. What used to be a standout type of event, something that was clearly deviant from the norms around us, just becomes Sunday. We get used to it. But as you can tell from the title of the sermon, I think weirdness is actually very important. I think it's important That we don't lose the weirdness. Now why do I say that? Well it's because the weirdness is what keeps things interesting and it's the weirdness that moves us forward. It's passages like this one, passages like this one about Jesus walking on water that I think are particularly important for this conversation about weirdness. You know, if you grab the commentaries that Tasha and I have upstairs and we use to prepare for our sermons, much of the time when we sit down with the passage that we're about to preach on, those commentaries will largely agree about what the passage was about and what it was supposed to accomplish within the context of the gospel, and there'll be a basic, general, set idea of how the passage should be interpreted. Certainly for the gospels, this is almost always true but not for this passage. Every commentary will interpret it somewhat differently. Some commentaries saw this passage as being derivative of the passage from Exodus that I read to you, where God was passing Moses by, but Moses couldn't look upon his face, and so he hid him in a cleft of the rock. Jesus here passing alongside, passing by his friends out on the ocean, out on the Sea of Galilee, not the ocean. Other commentators thought that this passage was just about the foolishness of the disciples. Those crazy disciples, they're so wacky. They spent all that time with Jesus and they never really understood who he was. Right before this passage is when Jesus feeds the 5,000. The point of it is, at the end of the day, when you boil it down, whatever it means, it's strange, it's peculiar. It's weird. Were you listening while I read it? Like Jesus goes off to pray in the evening. Then he sees his friends straining out against the wind in the Sea of Galilee. And then in the morning, he decides that he's going to go for a walk and he's just going to walk on the water out towards them. But he's not going to stop. Mark tells us that he intended to pass them by until they looked at him and thought to themselves that there was a ghost. And why would they think there was a ghost? Like they'd just seen him take a handful of food and turn it into enough for 5,000 people. Wouldn't you think that at this point they would be on board with weird things happening around Jesus? No, it's a ghost. And so Jesus walks over and gets in the boat with them and then the wind stops. I mean, what is this story? The truth is, I'm not sure that it's meant to make sense. I'm not sure that they could make sense of what happened as it happened. It is a weird story. Jesus was weird. He was strange. He didn't fit. And isn't that how it should be? Like, if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if we believe he's the Messiah, if we believe... That he's fully human and fully God, he should not fit in this world. He should be peculiar, strange, weird, odd. And what does that mean for us? It means that those of us who follow him should also seem a little weird. We ourselves should seem a little weird. Have you noticed that we don't? Have you noticed that this all seems perfectly ordinary and normal? Do we wonder for just a second if maybe we're missing something? If maybe something about how we're doing all this stuff isn't quite exactly right? Jesus is weird. So therefore, our discipleship should be a little bit weird. It should seem a little bit peculiar. Sure, we've gotten used to it, but we've also we've also changed it a little bit. You know, I've been back to Austin a couple times in the last five years. And let me tell you, it is not what it used to be. Like the stickers are still there, right? You still see the keep Austin weird stickers when you go to Austin. But Austin is not weird. It's what I call like focus group weird, like weirdness that was tested out to make sure that it was a little odd, but not offensive in any possible way. Like Alamo Draft House, which used to just have one location on 6th Street, was in 20 states. You can't do Cannibal Night in 20 states. That's not going to work. You can't have a weird town when an 1800 square foot house costs a million dollars. Can't have a weird place in that when you drive down the road and you see a Keep Austin Weird sticker on the back of a very responsible, well-kept four-door sedan. I drive a well-kept four-door sedan. I'm weird, but not Austin weird. Over time, the weirdness gets kind of smoothed out. It becomes a commodity. It becomes something that we just kind of test and massage and make sure that it's a little off, but that it fits generally with the culture around us. We've been working on this for a long time here in the church, making sure that we stand out just a little bit, but that by and large, we fit with what's happening around us. But that's why the weirdness matters. If you go back and you think about history for just a second, just even recent history, most of the people who made the biggest positive changes on history were seen as pretty weird. I mean, I heard a story one time that there was somebody, and I don't know if this is true, but you can tell me that this doesn't sound consistent, that there was somebody who would follow Einstein around campus to make sure that he remembered to put his pants on. He was weird. He was very weird. What's the most famous picture of him, right? It's with his hair sticking up, and what's he doing in his face? He's got his tongue out. Like, I don't have a very, like that. It's weird. Weirdness is what kind of drives us forward. Weirdness, peculiarity, oddness, that's what challenges us. Weirdness is what Kind of keeps things fresh. Weirdness is what reminds us that we're not all the same. It reminds us that, you know, we should stand out just a little bit. Weirdness in our faith reminds us that it doesn't fit really here. This God we worship, this faith we have. Our friends, our friends, if we have them who don't go to church, should think us a little bit peculiar. They should think us odd. Odd. Maybe if they're being kind, they should think us eccentric. But there should be a weirdness to us. It's that weirdness which makes us special. It's that weirdness which makes us unique. It was that weirdness that Jesus had that made him noticeable. It's the weirdness that ended up leading to his death. So, we have this story, and it's a really interesting story. This story about Jesus and his friends, and about a night that they were having a difficult time, but he wanted to be by himself. We've got this story. And we have this story about him walking out onto the Sea of Galilee, and him thinking he was just going to walk next to them, but then them thinking it was a ghost, so he goes over and he comforts them and he knocks the wind down. We have this story. What does it mean? What's it mean? I don't know isn't that refreshing from your pastor like is, you're like what do I pay you for but I don't know I don't know what it means I'd love to tell you what it meant but I don't know but here's what I know this story is spectacularly and gloriously weird isn't it great amen
1: In our prayers today, I would ask you to remember uh, Ron Evans' sister is currently in the hospital uh, here in town, uh, very ill from a fall. And I would also ask you to remember our sister, Jean Wilson, who is having lots of health complications uh, from her cancer treatment. With those two names in mind, let us pray. Lord Jesus, you come to us and you tell us that you are the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You are distinctive, unique, weird. And you call us to a way that is also distinctive, unique, even weird. We cannot answer that call you have on our lives without your work. And so we offer our prayers this day as one community, but one community that leans on you. We offer our prayers for places we will never be, people we will never meet. We pray especially this day for all those whose lives have been changed by September 11th of 20 years ago, for those who grieve, for those who have known loss and fear and anxiety. We pray for those whose situations we know well whose names are written on our hearts. We pray today for Jean, for Judy, and we lift before you, both aloud and in the silence of our hearts, particular people and particular situations. We give you thanks this day, great God, for all the steps you have walked with us, for the path you have led us down. We ask for you to continue to guide us, lead us, take us the narrow way, the distinctive way, We thank you for your work in our lives up until now, and we pray for your work this week, that we might be your hands and your feet in this world. It is in your holy name that we offer this prayer, and we pray as we have been taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We do not pass the offering plate at this time. There is a basket following worship, if you would like to put an offering. Our worship continues, and our offering continues in the gift of music. Let us pray. Lord, for the offerings of our lives, we give you thanks, and we return our lives again to you. We ask that you would use the gifts you have given us, multiply those gifts, and help us to share them in this world in your name. We thank you for the gift of song in this service and for this time to worship. It's in your name we pray, amen.
0: The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. Share Christ's peace with one another.